Mark Zuckerberg told The New Yorker the news source he definitely follows is TechMeme. So listen to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, the podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every day. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you get a rundown of what happened in the world of tech with all the headlines, context, commentaries, and tweets from all the biggest players. New episodes every day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Search your favorite podcast app for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Zenni offers thousands of affordable eyewear styles, starting at just $6.95. No ridiculous markups, no hassles, just quality, affordable eyewear delivered right to you. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. Good evening, I'm Wolf Blitzer sitting in for Anderson. There are a boatload of legal problems sitting at the feet of the president tonight. And we have new reporting on how the president might plan to deal with them, but how still others could be out of his control. We begin with his former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort. He sits in jail tonight. It marks the first time anyone associated with the Trump campaign has landed behind bars. No small thing. Manafort's bail today was revoked and the charges against him are growing. Then there's Michael Cohen, the president's personal attorney. He's now signaling an openness to cooperating with the feds. And there are new details tonight about what authorities have seized as part of their investigation. All of this comes on top of uh, New York State suing Mr. Trump's charity. Like I said, a lot of legal woes. But we're also learning how the president might fight back. As to the question of obstruction of justice, that's something Mr. Mueller's team is pursuing. Our Gloria Borger has some new reporting about how the president's legal team now plans to use the Hillary Clinton email investigation as part of his defense. And in the case of Paul Manafort, the president's Russia attorney, Rudy Giuliani, is dangling the possibility of a pardon for him and others raising serious questions about obstruction of justice. The president spoke out about his former campaign chairman on the White House lawn with a presidential master class in the art of the just plain false. Well, I feel badly about a lot of them because I think a lot of it's very unfair. I mean, I look at uh, some of them where they go back 12 years. Like Manafort has nothing to do with our campaign. But I feel so, I tell you, I feel a little badly about it. They went back 12 years to get things that he did 12 years ago. You know, Paul Manafort worked for me for a very short period of time. He worked for me, what, for 49 days or something? A very short period of time. All right, keeping them honest, virtually none of that is true. Uh, Paul Manafort spent almost five months, not, not 49 days, working for the campaign, including three months as the campaign chairman. He served during the convention, met with Russians over at Trump Tower in New York. He was and is a big deal. Later in the hour, we're going to show you more presidential untruths. And throughout the hour, we'll be talking about all aspects of the president's very complicated legal tangle. But let's begin with the biggest, at least right now, Paul Manafort's day in court and his trip to jail. CNN's Sarah Murray has the very latest for us. She's joining us. Sarah, Manafort's trial is not until uh, September. So why did the federal judge in this specific case feel the need to send him to jail, a federal prison, today. 
Well, Wolf Manafort is facing two trials, one in D.C., one in Virginia. He was already wearing two ankle bracelets and was under house arrest. And then prosecutors came and said, look, this is someone who has spent five weeks using uh, different encrypted apps, making phone calls, trying to essentially reach out to witnesses in this case and tamper with them and influence their testimony. That is the argument that prosecutors made to the judge. And the judge, as she was hearing this today, Judge Amy Berman Jackson, basically said, I have no appetite for this. She says, this is not middle school. I can't take his cell phone. And she made the decision today in court that Paul Manafort would be spending the next few months uh, behind bars as he awaits trial. And now that's exactly what he's doing right now, awaiting trial. Uh, Sarah, thank you very much. Uh, Later in the hour, we're going to show you, by the way, more presidential untruths. And throughout the hour, we'll be talking about all aspects of this case. Uh, Let's get some more right now uh, on Manafort's bail revocation and the talk of a possible pardon for him. Uh, The president used a phrase he often has about people that he does wind up pardoning, and that phrase being, quote, very unfair. He tweeted this today. Wow, what a tough sentence for Paul Manafort. Didn't know Manafort was the head of the mob. What about Comey and Crooked Hillary and all of the others? Very unfair, close quote. Let's get some perspective right now from CNN's chief legal analyst, Jeffrey Tubin and Harvard's Alan Dershowitz's new book, by the way, The Case Against Impeaching Trump, will be out next month. Guys, thanks very much for joining us. And Jeff, you were inside that federal court today when Manafort's bail was revoked. President Trump, as we said, tweeted that it was, quote, very unfair. What's unfair about jailing someone who allegedly committed a crime while out on bail? Well, it was an incredibly dramatic scene. I mean, Paul Manafort walked into that courtroom not knowing uh, whether he would be walking out. Uh, His freedom was going to be determined uh, in these very few minutes in court. And what the prosecution said was he was instructed as a ba- in his in his original bail application, you cannot commit more crimes where you while you are out on bail. But he has now been indicted for witness tampering uh, while he was out on bail, contacting these witnesses, trying to get them to tell a false story. And he's now been locked up. And it really changes the complexion of this trial uh, coming up in September. It is hugely, hugely different to be waiting in prison uh, to be to go to trial and to be waiting in a luxury apartment in Alexandria, Virginia, where he had been. And the pressure on him is going to ratchet up enormously. It certainly will. Uh, Alan Dershowitz, what Rudy Giuliani, the president's lawyer, tells the New York Daily News, as he did, that the Mueller probe, quote, might get cleaned up with some presidential pardons. That's a quote. Could that be interpreted potentially as inappropriate, if not illegal or unethical, a signal to potential potential subjects and witnesses? No, he has a perfect right as Trump's lawyer to assert his belief that uh, Manafort should be uh, pardoned. Uh, My own view is that it is terribly unfair for Manafort to join the thousands of other people, many of them minority people, many of them poor, who are sitting in jail with a presumption of innocence. We don't know whether he tampered with witnesses. All we know is he's been indicted for that. Uh, You can indict, you can get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich. This so undercuts the presumption of innocence when we put people in jail, poor or rich, uh, without a trial, without a hearing, based on a judge's conclusion and a prosecutor's assertion that they may have violated uh, the bail. I agree with Rudy Giuliani. 
that you don't put people in jail when they talk to witnesses. You put them in jail when they threaten to kill witnesses. They can take away his telephone, his computer. They can take away his access to any opportunity to talk to witnesses and let him stay at home. This is punitive, and it's designed to put pressure on Manafort, and it may very well work. The reason we get 98% conviction rates in some part of the country is because we put people in jail prior to trial. We threaten them with 20, 30, or 40-year sentences, and then we tell them that if they cooperate and plead, they'll be out in six months. That's not the way a criminal justice system should operate. Manafort brings this to the attention of the American public. We should be aware of this based on previous cases. And as a civil libertarian, a nonpartisan civil libertarian, I am outraged at the judge's decision to put him in jail. I hope he appeals, and I hope it goes up to the circuit and the circuit reverses the conviction. Well, let, me ask, think- let, let, let me ask Jeffrey. She's a highly respected federal judge. Uh, what do you think? Well, I mean, Alan, you can't you can't like make up the facts about what's going on here. She didn't she didn't just conclusory. It wasn't a conclusory judgment of hers. She said the grand jury has indicted him for witness that's not- tampering. That's, that's but that's not, not that's that is a judgment of a grand jury. It's not. It was a factual matter that the grand yes, jury indicted him, and that is the basis for his. For, let me finish, Alan. Let me finish. That 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 was the basis for the fact that she revoked his bail. It wasn't you know that she didn't like what what he said. It was a factual matter that he had been indicted. It is not a factual matter that he did it of when a grand not. jury. 23 people being directed and instructed by the prosecution who could persuade them to indict you or me or Wolf based on no evidence whatsoever. The grand jury is a meaningless collection of 23 pieces of furniture that are moved around at will by prosecutors. There is no such thing as grand jury discretion. They never refuse to indict. And for you to look at the indictment and say that's a factual conclusion defies reality. Nothing should turn on a grand jury indictment. A grand jury indictment is simply like a complaint in a civil case. It brings the case to trial. Judges instruct the jury, ignore the indictment. The indictment is not a way of shifting the presumption of innocence. Alan, you have... have... Innocent as you and I in the eyes of the law, and he should not be in prison based on allegations. If you want to have a mini trial, a hearing, both sides present evidence... That's one thing. But to base it on an indictment is to base it on a meaningless, conclusory, prosecutorial tool. Alan, you dislike grand juries and, 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 and you've been very consistent that. about that. But the grand jury has been part of the American legal system for 200 years. My view is the same laws that apply to everyone else should apply to Paul Manafort. And there are bail laws that say you shouldn't viol- you shouldn't commit crimes. And, and they are a probable cause standard for committing, you know, for whether you've committed a crime while you were out on bail. All Judge Jackson did was apply the law that applies to everyone else, to Paul Manafort. And I think that's all we can ask in this search. All right, everybody, hold on. Hold on. Hold on, Alan. uh, Hold on for a moment. We're going to take a quick break. We got a lot more to discuss. Neither of you is going away. I want to get your take on a new strategy the president's legal team may be using to fight a subpoena to testify from Robert Mueller. Gloria Borger, she's got the scoop. You're going to hear from her. We got a lot more to discuss. Stick around. Also ahead, a leading evangelical Christian reacts to the attorney general using the Bible to justify separating children from their parents at the southern border. 
Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Our friends at Zenni Optical offer a huge variety of high-quality, stylish frames and state-of-the-art optics starting at just $6.95. You can get multiple frames with this great pricing for less than one pair elsewhere. Start building your eyewear wardrobe from the comfort of your own home at Zenni.com. With the latest trends in eyewear, available in hundreds of frame styles and materials, there isn't a better way to change it up for every season. Plus, Zenni offers prescription sunglasses at incredible prices. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I slash CNN. The president is latching on to the Justice Department's Inspector General's report, but he's doing it in a way the authors might not have imagined. As you know, the 568-page document primarily concerns the FBI's conduct during the Hillary Clinton email investigation. And though it does document examples of FBI agents showing antipathy towards the then-candidate Donald Trump, nothing in it says what the president today said it does. It totally exonerates me. Uh, there was no collusion. There was no obstruction. And if you read the report, you'll see that. What you really, excuse me, wait, wait, wait. What you'll really see is you'll see bias against me and millions and tens of millions of my followers. That is really a disgrace. Again, the report does not exonerate the president on Russia or obstruction of justice. However, there could be a reason the president said what he said beyond simply protesting his innocence. Our chief political analyst, Gloria Borgia, has uncovered how that attack on the IG's report could be used as part of a new strategy by the Trump legal team. Gloria, you've been talking to your sources about President Trump's legal team. How do they plan on shifting their strategy in response to this inspector general's report? Well, I think they now intend to make the inspector general report kind of the centerpiece of their strategy when dealing with uh, the special counsel. And the thing they're going to focus in on is the question of obstruction, because, you know, the the council's report was very tough. The inspector general's report was very, very tough on James Comey. And they're going to say, look, we fired him for the same reasons that were outlined in the inspector general report. Therefore, there cannot be any obstruction because we did it for the right reason. Now, in saying that, they are, of course, forgetting that the president himself talked about that Russia thing when he was interviewed by Lester Holt, but they're still going to make this claim. Good point. Uh, And Gloria, the text sent by the uh, FBI agent Peter Strzok, I understand the president's lawyers, they plan to argue that this entire Russia investigation has been politically biased because of that. Is that right? Right. You know, don't forget, Peter Strzok was one of the people who early on joined the Russia investigation. And they take a look at that text and they say, wait a minute, the people who began this investigation early on were biased against the president. Now, you heard the president talk about this today. He said these people were biased against me and against tens of millions of my followers. And I spoke with one source who said that this proves that there was a direct explicit and substantial evidence of bias at the onset of the Russia investigation. Therefore, it's invalid. And Gloria, the president's lawyers, uh, I understand they're going to be meeting with Mueller's team fairly soon. Mm -hmm. What can you tell us about that? Well, they're going to say you have no reason to subpoena the president. Mm 
you may not have any reason to interview him at all because they're going to make the argument that this is a corrupt investigation, as the IG report they believe uh, proves, and that since there was no obstruction, because there was every reason to fire Comey, what could you want to talk to the president about? You have millions of pages of documents, you have contemporaneous interviews with witnesses, and therefore, since the president did nothing wrong, and this report proves it, no reason to talk to him. Gloria Borger, thanks very much. Sure. All right, let's get back to Jeff Tubin and Alan Dershowitz. Uh, Alan, does this IG report give the president and his legal team justification potentially to challenge a subpoena by the special counsel Robert Mueller's team when it comes to obstruction of justice? Well, I think it gives them some uh, ammunition. The uh, IG report does say that there was a basis for uh, firing a Comey. And I don't think that you're entitled to ask the president why he engaged in an act which he was entitled to do under Article Two of the Constitution, especially if he had a justification. Look, people have multiple justifications. What President Trump may have done was used the idea that he should have been fired because of the Hillary Clinton investigation. But motive deepened behind his mind. He said it also helps me in the Russia investigation. That's not the kind of inquiry that uh, criminal justice should be concerned with. I, I don't think that the IG report is a vindication of the president. But I think the statement about Comey in the report gives them a basis uh, for building. Look, but the team is making serious mistakes. I am outraged that Rudy Giuliani, who's his lawyer, today stated to the New York Daily News, I think, that Joe Biden is a moron and a mentally deficient uh, idiot. You know, that kind of conversation has no place in the defense of a president. Joe Biden's a great man who would be a wonderful, wonderful president. And when you have the president's lawyers getting involved in this kind of mudslinging and partisan politics, it really undercuts what his decent and good points are. And there are some good points. The president shouldn't be subpoenaed unless there's a very good reason for doing so. Remember that Comey in his book says, you don't have to subpoena the subject of an indictment, a uh, subject in investigation, because we already have all the evidence of that. He said that in the context of the Hillary Clinton thing. The only reason we ever subpoena people is to see whether they're going to tell the truth. That sounds like a perjury trap. And so there is a basis. But the president's theme is undercutting their basis when they get into this partisan mudslinging of the kind that my friend and a very good lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, did today. Shame on him. Yeah. A- a- you know, Alan, Alan and the White House have been arguing from day one that that the president can fire uh, the the uh, the FBI director for any reason, even if it's totally corrupt. Similarly, they've been arguing that he can argue that that he can pardon anyone for whatever reason, even if it's corrupt. And that's That's not true. There is no Supreme Court opinion that says that we always look at the motives of people's behavior to determine whether they are criminal or whether they are high crimes and misdemeanors. If Rudy, if President Obama, if President, President Trump fired James Comey because he wanted to stop the 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 Trump the the uh, Russia investigation, that is illegal. If he's part, well, if he's threatening, that- if he's threatening, if he's using pardons to mm-hmm. um, to escape liability himself. That is a crime as well. That there is not there is not th- this idea that Article two gives you the power to do anything for whatever reason is something that Allen and the White House are just making up. All right, well, go first ahead, of all, I don't coordinate with the White House. Well, Second I didn't, of all, I didn't he say made that. 
It was the You're American both wrong, public. independently. It was the American public when they didn't indict or prosecute or charge George W. Bush, when he pardoned Casper Weinberger and five people for the explicit purpose found by the special prosecutor of stopping the investigation and preventing Weinberger from pointing the finger at him. We have a clear precedent, and you can't just violate that precedent. Jeffrey, how do you distinguish the George W. Bush case, where he clearly pardoned five people to stop an investigation from pointing to him from this case? Jeffrey, answer that question. The, the answer is, it was January 20th, 1993. He did it as he was walking out the door. There was not nothing it. to be done. He was he was the ex-president by the, the time. It's of uh, that precedent is of no value at all. You can indict an ex-president. That's why Gerald Ford had a pardon uh, Richard Nixon. That is no answer, Jeffrey. It you isn't. have to distinguish that case. You can't have a special law for Donald Trump that you didn't apply to George W. Bush. What we are George, talking. Oh, let me just stop for a second. George H. W. Bush. H.W. Bush, I'm sorry. What, what we are talking about is abuse of presidential power. If someone is an ex-president, it is a moot point whether they, whether they uh, <clears throat> um, uh, abuse presidential power. The issue is, why did Donald Trump pardon, uh, uh, why did he fire James Comey? The issue is, why is he offering pardons or dangling mm -hmm. the possibility of pardons to Michael Cohn, to Michael Flynn, to Paul Manafort. It's to interfere with the due administration of justice. Presidents don't have that power. He can pardon well, anyone he wants, but motive matters. When the framers of the Constitution debated the impeachment, and I have this in my new forthcoming book, they rejected explicitly the notion that you can impeach and remove a president based on maladministration and all the kinds of things you're talking about. It required a high crime and misdemeanor right. or treason bribery, and that simply hasn't occurred here. President can pardon, and you can't start parsing motives. When you start asking why a president did anything, is it to sell more books? Is it to go down in history? Is it because he wants to make more money when he gets out of office? We can't start asking about the motives of presidents. We have to ask whether his act was justified under Article Two of the Constitution. The same thing is true of senators. You can't question senators and congressmen for what they did on the All floor right. of the Senate, even if they had a bad motive. You can't question the motive of judges. We have immunity for all three branches of the government. Right. It's not surprising. We have it for the president as well. Very quickly, uh, Jeffrey, you get the last word. Well, I mean, look, Richard Nixon was about to be impeached and he resigned because he used the, the CIA to tell the FBI to stop investigating Watergate. He had the power. He had the power to do both, to tell the no. FBI and to tell the CIA what to do. He was, he was he forced out of office because he did it corruptly. That's the he issue here. Out of office right. Because he paid hush money, because he paid bribes, because he told his underlings to lie to the FBI. He was not forced out of office because he exercised his authority under Article 2 of the Constitution. Right. And neither was, neither was uh, Bill Clinton. An excellent, an excellent legal debate, as always, guys. Thank you so much to both of you. We'll continue these conversations down the road, I promise. Up next, more of what the president said today versus the facts. Remember, to create an ad like this one, visit purewinning.com slash CNN. 
A remarkable moment this morning over at the White House. The president stepped outside, walked straight over to the cameras. He first spoke to Fox News, then to all White House reporters, and he covered a lot of topics over those 49 minutes. And as we mentioned, he also made a bunch of false statements, uh, keeping them honest. Here's a look at the president's untruths, followed by the facts. It's a very unfair situation, but... The IG report totally exonerates. I mean, if you look at the results and if you look at the the head investigator is saying we have to stop Trump from becoming president. Well, Trump became president. I hate the children being taken away. The Democrats have to change their law. That's their law. That's the Democrats' law. We can change it tonight. We can change You're it right president. now. I will leave here. No, no. You need their votes. You need their votes. Manafort has nothing to do with our campaign. But I feel so, I tell you, I feel a little badly about it. They went back 12 years to get things that he did 12 years ago. You know, Paul Manafort worked for me for a very short period of time. He worked for me, what, for 49 days or something? A very short period of time. I feel badly for some people because they've gone back 12 years to find things about somebody. President Obama lost Crimea because President Putin didn't respect President Obama, didn't respect our country, and didn't respect Ukraine. One more time, President Obama gave away Crimea. That should have never happened. I feel badly for General Flynn. He's lost his house. He's lost his life. And some people say he lied, and some people say he didn't lie. I mean, really, it turned out maybe he didn't lie. All right, joining us now, New York Times White House correspondent Maggie Haberman is also a CNN political uh, analyst. Uh, Maggie, over the course of the last few weeks, you've spoken a lot uh, about the president's lies and untruths when he actually believes something he's saying and when he doesn't in that context. What do you make of his answers today? I think that for the most part, he was saying things that he it was a grab bag of what he wanted to will into existence versus what uh, I think he knew was not true. Um, I, I was interested. There were a number of times, if you look at the transcript, where reporters did in real time say to him, why are you? Li-? Somebody actually yelled, why are you lying about that, sir? Um, which I think is a, a Rubicon crossing. And I'm hoping for the people who thought that um, having reporters do that is going to somehow change how he acts uh, are disabused of that notion because it's not going to. Um, but he did say a number of things that were false. He said some things that um, you would have to assume. One assumes that he knows what his own border policy is and that he knows that that is a lie to keep saying that it is the Democrats' policy. That is just not true. I believe he does not want to own politically the images of these children um, who have been taken away from their parents at the border. I think that accounts for that one. I think that you saw him practice an enormous amount of spin around the inspector general report on James Comey and how James Comey handled the Hillary Clinton an email investigation. She was really the wronged party in that um, entire report. But the president has turned this into something about himself and how it showed both that he was correct about Comey in, in terms of firing him. Um, and th- he then made all these claims about the report that just are not true, that the report, uh, you know, exonerated him in terms of um, allegations of collusion with Russian officials by his campaign. The report doesn't do any of that. So I think this was a, a and finally, I think this was a president who has been very cooped up um, and likes to do things the way he wants to, likes engaging with the press and really hasn't been for a very long time. So I think that was actually uh, enjoyable for him. But there were a a torrent of of, uh, inaccuracies and falsehoods.
And in recent days, he's been spending more time answering reporters' questions, mm-hmm. which is good. Yes, do you it think is good. These, do you think these misstatements, these answers are part of a, any actual strategy on the president's part, or is he merely reacting in real time to reporters' questions? I think on Comey, there is a strategy where they're trying to discredit, his legal team is trying to discredit Comey. They believe that Comey is the main witness uh, for the special counsel, Robert Mueller, and that they need to attack him from all angles. And I I think that that is not a surprise and that is part of a strategy. The rest of it, though, I do think is that this this is a, a president and before that, a candidate, and before that, a businessman and, and reality television star who will say whatever he has to say to get through very short 10 to 15 minute increments of time. Uh, and that is really what this was. And he, there was a moment where he, a reporter was asking a question and he informed the reporter they were asking an entirely different question. And, and it wasn't even on the same in the same ballpark. Um, so this is just somebody who is getting through that moment. Where do you think, uh, Maggie, the president's head is right now? Because uh, he's on the heels of what was, by most accounts, a successful Mm -hmm. first step with North Korea. Yet he's now facing the prospect of some kind of sit-down interview with the special counsel, Robert Mueller. Look, I think the chances of that interview being agreed to by the president are extremely slim. Obviously, don't ever say never, but I think it's extremely unlikely based on my reporting. I do think his head was in a very good place coming out of North Korea. I think he felt really good about this meeting. I think he felt like he had one of the things that has benefited this president is that time and time again, uh, when he has done something, there has been something of a sky is falling uh, reaction to it. And that emboldens him when the sky then does not fall. So at the moment, he feels that way about North Korea. And it was then frustrating for him to come back to uh, the U.S. and see the summit described as it actually was. And, you know, the, the agreements that actually were made between him and Kim Jong-un, what he agreed to give up versus what Kim Jong-un agreed to give up. Um, and there is a bit of a gap in how he's describing it versus what took place. Um, but I think, yes, he comes back into the messy reality of uh, this probe, which he sort of hinted at in a tweet, either today or yesterday. And I think that bothers him. Yeah, good point. Uh, Maggie Haberman, thanks so much. Thank you. How President Trump stunned world leaders at the G7 summit when he brought up Mexican migrants. I'm Andy Katz from March Madness 365, and on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus Battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game, just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways, shooting the ball, I think that's improved. And uh, just my playmaking ability as well. Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Tonight, we've learned President Trump stunned world leaders at the G7 summit uh, when he brought up migrants. Sources say the president turned to Japan's prime minister and said, quote, Shinzo, uh, you don't have this problem, but I can send you 25 million Mexicans and you'll be out of office very soon, close quote. Meanwhile, a different comment on immigration from his attorney general is also raising eyebrows. On Thursday, Jeff Sessions cited the Bible to justify separating immigrant children from their parents. The same Bible passage used to defend slavery in the run-up to the Civil War. Here's what the attorney general said. I would cite you to the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans uh, 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained the government for his purposes. 
Elsewhere, the Bible, of course, says, love your neighbor as yourself. Also, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The attorney general didn't mention those passages. And some biblical scholars are taking issue with what Mr. Sessions said. And that includes my next guest, Russell Moore. He's the president of the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Dr. Moore, thanks so much for joining us. As someone who knows the Bible as well as you do, I wonder what goes through your mind when you hear the attorney general use it to defend this specific policy? Well, Wolf, we all have moments when we could use a little more time in Sunday school, and this is one of those moments for the Department of Justice. Uh, Romans 13 does not mean that any law that the government uh, passes or carries out is a good law or a just law. Romans 13 simply means that the governing authorities are, are put in place for a reason. And the reason, the Apostle Paul says uh, there in Romans 13, is to commend that which is good and to punish that which is evil. It's hard for me to imagine that children uh, clinging to their parents in a very, very difficult time uh, could be classified as evil. I, I think I understand what the Attorney General is trying to say, uh, which is that we have, a, we have a rule of law and we ought to observe that rule of law. I agree with that. But I think surely, uh, as Americans, we can do better than this when it comes to, to vulnerable children who need their, need their parents. If we're pro-family, we ought to recognize how important that is. Yeah, it's so heartbreaking to see these little kids taken away from their moms. Uh, the attorney general is not just talking about the Bible generally. Uh, he's citing a very specific passage that has also been used in the past, as you well know, to justify tyranny and slavery. What do you make of that? Well, I don't think that's what the attorney general was trying to do, uh, but I, I do think it's important to say that Romans 13 does not uh, simply affirm whatever is going on in the status quo. As a matter of fact, I think Romans 13 is a warning to us to be sure that we do right uh, by these migrant children, because the scripture says that the authorities are accountable to God. And uh, in the United States of America, the people are the ultimate authority. So when we see things that ought to shock our conscience, uh, like children uh, being removed from their parents and, and children being taken away uh, as they're being breastfed by their mothers, uh, we ought to be the people who say, this isn't right. And we can't just simply see that as images on a television screen. This is our responsibility as the people. And so I, I think Romans 13 works the other way. Yeah, if you believe in God, you, you know that God does not want to see little kids taken away from their moms and dads. It's especially ironic, given how many of the teachings of the Bible have to do, as you well know, with kindness to children, the prioritization of the family, as well as compassion to strangers. Yes, indeed. And I think that's I think it's one of the reasons why you see in American life right now uh, such a such an outcry. Uh, everyone from Franklin Graham to Willie Nelson uh, is talking about how uh, how egregious what's going on at the border is right now. That's as close as we can get to consensus in American life. So I, I wish uh, that, that right now the governing authorities, the president, the attorney general, would listen to this and let's work out a way to keep the border safe. We're all for that, but also respect the dignity and humanity of children and their parents made in the image of God. Uh, we can do this in a way that, that reflects better what God would have us to be uh, as a country and as a people. You've been outspoken uh, when it comes to the president, but many of your fellow prominent evangelicals haven't. And yet, as you correctly point out, they are speaking out this time against this specific policy. Uh, what, what do you think that is? 
Well, I think the president uh, is is the, the leader of this country. We're required by the Bible to pray for him and to hope that he succeeds in every way. And so when the president does something good, I'm going to, to say so. When the president does something I disagree with, I'm going to say so as well. And I think many evangelicals are doing that right now. Regardless of whether or not uh, they supported the president or didn't support the president, uh, I think they're, they're able to understand this is a clear moral issue that we ought to speak to. And we ought to, to hope that the president looks at this and sees, uh, sees how shocking what's happening at the border is and corrects it. And he can. Uh, and I hope that he will. Yeah, all of us do. Uh, Dr. Moore, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you all. A lot more to get to tonight, but first, let's check in with Chris Cuomo for a closer look at what he's got cooking uh, for Cuomo primetime. Chris? Hey, Wolf, we have the opportunity tonight to uh, live the expectation of just ask the man on the two biggest stories of the day. Rudy Giuliani made a ton of headlines, as did his client, the president. It seems that their political calculation, their campaign is in full effect. So everybody's talking about what Rudy Giuliani meant today. We're going to ask him himself. He'll be on the show live at the top of the hour. And then we're not going to let people forget what's going on uh, at the border, Wolf. And in terms of what God wants or if there's any religion and what the government policy is at all, we've got Cardinal Timothy Dolan here to remind what the way of the word is supposed to be, why he believes this is about morality and why the church is sending a team to the border. Looking forward to the show, Chris. Thank you very much. Strong show coming up at the top of the hour. When we continue, I'll take you to uh, South Texas, where CNN's Ella Vendera was on the scene as Customs and Border Patrol agents detained both children and adults as undocumented immigrants. One 11-year-old says he came by himself. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current Yes analyst, Richard Jefferson on Bleacher Report's The Full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of, like, all I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The Full 48 is now available on Spotify. And, of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's hard to believe, but new government figures out tonight show nearly 2,000 children have been separated from their parents at the U.S.-Mexican border from mid-April through the end of May. CNN's Ed Lavendera was at the scene as Border Patrol agents added to that number. It's hard to see people moving through the thick South Texas vegetation. The Rio Grande rolls by just beyond the tree line. And then, just like that, they appear out of the brush a small group of undocumented immigrants walking into a public park. We just came across this group of undocumented immigrants here in the town of Mission, Texas. Two adults, four children, just finished crossing the Rio Grande here a little while ago, and now they're in the custody of Border Patrol. This group is actually made up of three different groups. They say they met along the journey from Honduras and decided to enter the United States together. Border Patrol agents give them water, and they sit in the shade as they wait for a vehicle to take them to a Border Patrol station. There's Jonathan Ariel, 11 years old. He says he left Honduras with cousins, but they abandoned him along the way. He says his mother lives in Virginia and told him not to make this journey alone, but now he's here. I told her I wanted to come, he says, but she said it's very dangerous. Are you scared? 
A little, he says. It's a brief conversation that leaves you with many more questions about how a young boy can get to this point. As an unaccompanied minor, he will likely end up for the time being in a children's shelter like this one, as federal authorities try to connect the boy with his mother. The rest of this group is made up of two adult women with their children. Dalia Sayupa is 24 years old, and she crossed the border with her little boy. Dalia, por qué vino? Why did you come? She says gang members left a note at her home threatening to kill her, and that's when she decided to flee. Yes, he's my son, and I love him, she says. I have carried him throughout my journey. Dalia says she did not know that she might be separated from her son once she was taken into custody in the United States. But she says, I have nothing in Honduras. The families are loaded up and taken away unsure of what happens next. And Wolf was able to speak with Jonathan's mother. He gave me her phone number in Virginia. I spoke with her. She told me a little while ago that she's already spoken with him and that federal authorities told her that they would speak with her tomorrow to figure out what is next. What is unclear is the other is the other parts of this group, the two adult women with their children. And what happens to them is not exactly clear. Even though the Trump administration has talked about this being a zero tolerance policy, not everyone is being separated from their children. But federal officials that we spoke with today won't say exactly how how that is uh, how those decisions are determined here at this point why some people are being prosecuted and separated from their children why others while others are not wolf let's hope those kids can stay with their moms uh, so so sad uh, ed levendera thank you very much meantime uh, the federal government has chosen a small town in south texas as the newest location for a temporary shelter to house at least some of the unaccompanied children of those undocumented immigrant parents tonight cnn's uh, uh, tonight three, 360's gary tuckman is on the scene for us and gary you're over there describe what you've seen today well, Wolf, this is a very small town, Tornillo, Texas, and this is the port of entry in this small town behind this six-foot chain-link fence, behind this six-foot granite wall, and behind this 10-foot barbed wire fence, there are up to 300 children who've moved in since yesterday. The government is not telling us how many children are here. They are saying there are children here, but the state representative for this district says 98 children came yesterday. 200 children have come today. You can see in the background a big white tent-like structure. The government won't concern. That's where they, they will not comment to us about if that's where they're living. But we are seeing video from a different vantage point, which shows the children outside playing outside that tent-like structure. The government has said they were going to build a structure that was semi-permanent, that had steel siding, that had plastic very strong plastic ceiling and ground, and we believe that's the structure where the children are living. Now, we are told at this point that everybody is healthy, but right now it is 95 degrees outside here. We are told there's air conditioning inside, but there's certainly a lot of concern in this community about those children because of the high temperatures here and because of the remoteness of this area. I just want to show you very quick, Wolf, this is the desert. We are in the middle of nowhere. There's only 1,500 people who live in this town. The population has increased by 20% with these 300 children who've arrived. Wolf. All right, Gary, thank you so much. There's breaking news ahead. Investigators say they've reconstructed 16 pages of shredded documents collected in that raid on Michael Cohen back in April. That's just ahead. And all next week, CNN will be running a series of reports from our anchors about individuals and organizations who have made an extraordinary difference in people's lives. Take a look. 
All next week, a special CNN series. Our anchors profile champions for change. We travel the globe telling stories of change makers. This time, we're joining their mission to make a difference. Giving time to the causes that are dear to our hearts. And sharing the stories of the champions leading the charge. It was for a great cause. That's motivating. You have to help them in a way that lets them see this is not how your life has to be. This is an opportunity to pay it forward. To do something that is going to be meaningful. They are the kinds of students any community would be blessed to have. Just warms your heart that you could help someone with food. Rock on. Join the journalists of CNN as we work alongside Champions for Change. All next week. Presented by Charles Schwab. So many people around the world depend on CNN's quality reporting. And now they have an incredible online store with clothes, gear, and gadgets. Right now, you can get 15% off your purchase. Just visit store.cnn.com. And when you're checking out, enter the code CNN Podcast. Just one word. And get a 15% discount. It's that simple. That's store.cnn.com. There's more breaking news tonight of the Michael Cohen investigation. As we said at the top of the hour, Michael Cohen is indicating to friends and family he's willing to cooperate with federal investigators. And now prosecutors say they've gotten a commitment from Cohen's lawyers about when they will have finished reviewing documents seized in that FBI raid. They say everything will be reviewed by June 25th. And investigators are also saying they've reconstructed 16 pages worth of shredded documents collected in the raid. More information on that in the coming days, no doubt. Out a very busy Friday night. Thanks very much for watching 360. Time to hand over to Chris Cuomo right now. Cuomo Primetime starts right now. Are you ready to learn how to build a better consulting or professional services company? Then download the Liston.io show for the best sales and marketing advice so you can deliver your services to the people who need you the most. On the show, I'll be interviewing the smartest people in the industry to share what they know about building a better consulting business. I'll also give you episodes where I tell you specifically how to sell your services with confidence and how to transform into an influential leader in your industry. Your happy clients probably want to help you. It's too hard for them right now. You're asking them to do too much of the selling that you should be doing. Yeah, it's going to move. It's going to change. It's going to disrupt you at some point in time. Your most loyal clients are your most profitable. Ready to learn how other people are building the consulting company you've always wanted? Download the Liston.io show spelled L-I-S-T-O-N dot I-O wherever you get your podcasts. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that we just launched the ability for anyone to advertise on CNN Podcasts. You're just a few clicks away from reaching millions of people in a way that you never have before. Advertise for a business event or kick off an awareness campaign for your brand. Start today at purewinning.com slash CNN. Integrating podcasts into your marketing mix has never been easier. Go to purewinning.com slash CNN to get started.